we are looking at the seven wonders of Jesus through John, the, the seven miracles that John has emphasized. You know, he was very picky about the things that he chose, and every miracle he chose for a particular reason because he wanted to show something about himself. Vision for this year, the wonder of who he is and the wonder of who we are. So part of what we're doing is we're looking at the wonder of who he is and the amazing things that he's done and, and stuff. So we have looked at the first wonder was water into wine. And we looked at how we are clean-filled vessels. God has done an amazing thing in our lives, but he takes us and he fills us with new wine. Um, and it's a new covenant, and he is creator God. Only creator God could do something amazing, take the water, but it's on the point of actually giving that it turns into wine, okay? Then we looked at the royal official's son, the wonder number two. Uh, and this sign is about faith. Faith is action, action-based trust. He trusted Jesus. He spoke the word. He spoke the word and he believed. You know, when Jesus speaks a word, a promise to you, do you take hold of it and do you believe it? And I think that's what's great about all the confessions that we're doing at the moment. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he showed through this miracle, he's our healer. He's our healer, but not just our healer, he's health. Come on. And I've been declaring that over my life. He's my health. I walk in health. Even though there are things going on in my body, I'm still making that declaration. I walk in health. And actually, um, at this point, actually everything's doing, it's doing really well in my body compared to uh, six months ago. So that's fantastic. But we need to make those declarations, take hold of them, and make them part of our life. And then last week, we looked at the healing at the pool, wonder number three, at the pool of Bethesda. You know, we looked at the fact that this was the only person that Jesus went to. It's the only story where he goes and finds someone. Most people came to him. And Jesus wants to bring people to you. And he wants you to stir up the gift within you because you have something to give two people. And we looked at how the pool was full of fresh water. There was an inlet where the water came in to the pool, and then there was an outlet where it went out. We are putting the Word of God in us. The Spirit of God is in us. But we need to output as well. So we need to be giving the Word. We need to be speaking. We need to be ready to be the answer. We need to be ready to pray with people for healing. But Jesus only ever did what he saw the Father doing. There was this uh, obedience. And the final thing we finished with was faith plus humility plus love equals obedience. So if you want to know more about those, you can find them on our website, Uh, You can download the podcast and you can listen, and I highly recommend that you do. So this week, we are looking at the 
feeding of the 5,000. So, this is the only miracle before the resurrection which is recorded in all four Gospels. Okay, so let's turn to John 6. Verse 1, and I'm just going to read it to you. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Okay, so those of you who want to just write it down, if you want to find it in the other Gospels, it's Matthew 14, Mark 6, and Luke 9. For those of you who want to go and do further study, Matthew 14, Mark 6, and Luke 9. I'm going to pick a couple of bits out from, from some of those as we go along. So I'm just going to work down this um, to begin with, this feeding of the 5,000, and start at the beginning again. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. He, he was going somewhere. All these miracles had happened, and now he was going away. I think he probably wanted to go and have some peace. But do you know what happened? It says, And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed. The people were still chasing the miraculous signs. They were still looking just for miracles. They weren't understanding the awesomeness of who they were with. It was still, give me a sign, show me a sign. And although Jesus went across in a boat, if you look in two of the other Gospels, what it says is the people followed round the, round the side of the lake. So there's Jesus, gets into the boat with his disciples. I just want you to picture it, okay? 
So then this group who have seen miracles, they're going, look, there he goes. We've got to follow him. And so they're going around the edge watching this boat. Can we keep up? Where's he going? And as they're going, they're going through other villages. And as they're going through the villages, they're going, hey, come on, come and see the miracle worker. Come and see. And they're going and they're picking up more and more and more and more people until there's not just 5,000 men. If you read in one of the other Gospels, it says that's the men and women and children as well. So you've got, for all intents and purposes, a great rabble of people, not intent on violence, but a rabble of people chasing a man. Can you imagine what that's like? Can you imagine? And they're all looking, where's this miracle worker? I've got to find him. And they're running, you know, come on, come on. Because if you go round on land, you've got to go quicker than if you're going across on a boat. The boat's the direct route. If you look at a picture of what the Sea of Galilee looks like, there's a great big bit you've got to go around. Okay? So that we want to see what's going on. So Jesus gets to the other side. He goes up the mountain to sit down with his disciples. He goes to a remote place. He's gone for a bit of space. Wants to talk and spend time with his disciples. But no sooner has he done that when suddenly that he looks up and there is this huge crowd of people waiting for something to happen. There is an expectation of miracles in the air. That's why they've run. That's why they've chased. But they're in a remote place. It says in one of the other Gospels, it's a remote place place. It's away from the villages, away. And you know, as the, the rabble would have been, you know, people would have been collected, they wouldn't have gone, oh, I'm going out for lunch, let's pack myself for lunch. They'd have gone, oh no, I want to see the miracles. They're not thinking about getting fed. But now we're getting late, and they're getting hungry. And I don't know but if there was a massive group of people starting to murmur because they're hungry. You've got to do something, haven't you? What are you going to do? In verse 4, John makes a very simple statement. Now, one of the things we know about John is that John doesn't put anything in John unless it has a purpose, unless there is a reason. So he wants the reader to be aware of something particular. And he says, the Jewish Passover feast was near. So the Passover was the feast when the Jews remembered the deliverance from Egypt. So he's beginning to say to the reader, look, you need to know this. You need to remember that the feast is near because of what what is going to happen on. And he begins to then tell the story. So let's have a look in verse 5 again. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It's very interesting that in John's Gospel, he names the disciples in 
the other Gospels, it just says Jesus spoke to the disciples. But you can take this as you think, but you'll see as you go along. But the two disciples' names that he picks out, because we'll come on to Andrew in a minute, he says Philip. Now Philip was a Jew, but he had a Gentile name. Andrew, the same. He was a Jew, but he had a Gentile name. Okay? So I just want you to put that in your head and remember it. But here we have a test. Because Jesus is saying, okay, Philip, where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? It's a test. What are you going to do? Where is your faith? You've just seen me do amazing things. And in fact, in the previous chapter, after the healing at the port, it talks about lots of testimonies about Jesus, and he testifies who he is. And he's saying, okay, who am I? There's a test here. But what does Philip do? He looks at the circumstances. See, we've read here that Jesus, he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He only ever obeyed God. But Jesus knew what was going to happen. With Jesus, everything is ordered. There's no chaos. There's always a sureness. No apprehension, no anxiety for Jesus. He looked out and he knew what was going to happen. In fact, George Muller, George Muller, he built uh, a huge orphanage in, orphanage in Bristol, if anybody has been to Bristol. And when you see the size of the building of this orphanage, it's quite mind-blowing because you, you stand at the end of the road and all you see is this building to the end. It just is that all, it's huge. It's like looking at the Kellogg's factory or... You know, looking at, I'm just trying to go somewhere here. It's just huge. And he had a revelation with this scripture. As he read it one day, he already had in mind what he was going to do. And from that moment on, George Miller never worried at all at how those orphans were going to be fed. Even when sometimes he had to sit down at the table and say grace, he never worried because the food always came every single day and those orphans were fed. And he had a revelation of this and he held on to it. So I want to ask you what you think in your head. What revelation do you have? Do you have a complete calmness, no worry? Because you know that your God is in charge of every single circumstance in your life. So Philip looks out and he goes, oh my goodness, how are we going to feed everybody? And he starts working it out in his head. And he estimates that eight months wage or 200 denarii is not enough to feed these people. A man's wage... One day's wage was one denarii. That was one 
and bread was cheap. So to say that even eight months wouldn't pay, can you imagine how many people were there? Huge amount of people. But what happens next? Let's have a look. Verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So again, another disciple with a Gentile name, just want to remind you of that, spoke up and said, here is a boy. I want you just to think about faith at this moment. See, they've seen all these other miracles. They've seen the water turn into wine. They've seen healing. They've seen two incidents of healing. You know, and they must be going, okay, God, Andrew must be in his head going, God's up to something here. He's going to do something. I know he's going to do something. I just, I just know he's going to do something. I don't know what, but I know. And this little boy, I don't know. We don't know because it doesn't say, did the little boy come up and go, here's my food? We, we just don't know. But this little boy comes and he has five small loaves and they are small, they're probably flat, not like this, they're probably flat and two small fish I've brought my mackerel fillets in sweet teriyaki sauce, I have a thing for that at the moment Uh, so there's my two cans in there but he comes he comes with this this is his lunch or this is his food, I don't know, it could be to feed the family who knows but he comes with this lunch. Now, this is a little boy who is willingly, willingly gives up his food. He willingly gives up what is in his hand to give it to Jesus because there's an expectation that something amazing is going to happen. It's in the air. There's a buzz in the air. Something's going to happen. See, there's lots of faith at work here. Andrew, there's a boy with something. The little boy. Can you use this, sir? I don't know what he'd have said. But I've got something to share. You know, I love it with kids, actually. You know, how kids will will rock up and say, I can share this, mummy. And you look at it and you go, well, that's not going to go very far, is it, darling? But thank you. You know, maybe he was like that. But Jesus, he took it. He took it. He took the boy at his face. I believe there was faith there. I believe in Andrew there was faith. And in the people there was this buzz in the air. And Jesus then in verse 10, he tells everybody to go and sit down. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. He told, he said to the disciples, it actually says he told the disciples to go and tell them to sit down in one of the other uh, accounts. And then they sat down. They all sat down. You know, you've got a rabble here. They're expectant. And Jesus just says, tell them to sit down. And they all obey. 
It doesn't say they argued amongst themselves or some of them went off and there was a dispute. It says they all sat down. Okay? There was some trust, faith. What was he going to do? Expectation. If we look, I want to just go a little bit further on at verse 30 and 31 in John. This is after. This is after the miracle and after Jesus walks on water. It says, so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will we do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So in the history, in the history of the Jews, for 40 years God provided for them manna from heaven, bread from heaven that came down it's an outrageous miracle if you think about it because for six days they were to take one day's worth and not the next day's because the next day's would go mouldy. Hold on though, on the day before the Sabbath you take that day and you take the next day and it won't go mouldy. You know, only God can do something amazing and they've seen this incredible provision. It's in their history, it's in the past. So maybe this was going through their minds or some of their minds at the time. He's going to provide for us. Is he God? Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. The first thing Jesus did is he gave thanks. He gave thanks, or it says he looked to heaven. He took, he took the bread and he gave thanks for the little he had. I wonder how many of us thank God for the little that we have. You know, it's great to go, I've got a new car, I've got a new house, I've got a new dress. I've got a new Xbox. I've got a new, you can name it, iPad. But how many of us go, thank you. Thank you for the car I have. Thank you for the house I have. Thank you for the job that I have. Even though I want to pay rise, I thank you for the job that I have. How many of us thank God for the little? How many of us go, thank you, God, for the 20 pound I have for food this week? Even though you want to have the 70 in your hand. But are you thankful for the fact that you have 20 and you don't have nothing? Are you thankful for the little that you had? First thing he did, eyes on God. I thank you. I thank you, Father, that I have this. And then it says he broke it. And he put it into the hands of his disciples. He doesn't say that in this account, but it's in the other accounts. He put it in the hands of his disciples. Do you want to help me? So he broke it and he put it. Hold your hands out like this. He put it in his ha- their hands for them to go and distribute. He put food in the disciples' hands to go and take. Now he's put food in your hands. 
for you to go and take to people. He's put the word in your hands. This is the bread of life. The word is, is life. It's the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. And he puts his word in you so that you go take that word to others. But what happens, what happens is as you give that bread away, so imagine this, what happens, hold your hands up, hold your hands up, is he multiplies it, and he multiplies it, and he multiplies it, and he multiplies it. Can you see? Oh, can I balance these on? <laughs> and he multiplies it so you've got more and more and more to give. And as the disciples were going and giving, it was multiplying in their hands. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine? Whoa, they're just watching it, breaking a bit more, 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 more. Wow, the excitement and the expectancy was incredible in that place. As the murmur, you know, it would have been gone through the crowd. Look, 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 look what's happening. Till they all were fed. Till they all were full. To overflowing. That's what God's put stuff in you. And we're to carry that food for others. I just want to very quickly look at some of the symbolism here. Okay, why barley? I'm going to have to go through this really fast. Why barley? Okay, Um, if we look through, this is not the first time this has happened. Elijah multiplied flour and oil for the widow of Zarephath, one person. Okay, you can read that in 1 Kings 17. Elisha multiplied 20 barley loaves to feed 100 prophets. You can read that in 2 Kings 4, 42 to 44. And there were some left over. That was in the Old Testament, part of the Old Covenant. What does Jesus do? He goes, oh, guys, that's nothing. Look what happens in the New Covenant. This has fed 5,000 people plus. 5,000 men plus women and children. It's outrageous. Amazing. There's significance here. The new covenant replaces the old covenant. He's saying, look, look, look. Look at me. There's a new covenant. It's coming. Barley's. The first grain to be harvested in spring. The, uh, when Passover, Passover is one day. When Passover finishes, the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins, which lasts for seven days. And as part of that, there is an offering that takes place um, to do with the first fruits. And they take barley and they bring it as a wave offering before the Lord. But at the same time, they take a lamb without any defect and they offer the lamb. And then they do an offering of bread and wine on the same, same time. You see, Jesus was pointing backwards. See, that's what happened for Elisha. But look, this is what happens now in the new covenant. But I'm the lamb that's going to be slain on the cross. See, do you remember John said in verse 4, 
is just before the Passover. See, John's trying to tell us, as the reader, as the listeners, Jesus is trying to tell you something about himself. Barley was the sacrificial crop. And barley was often grown, and when it was ripe, it was then ploughed back into the ground. It wasn't harvested, it was ploughed back into the ground for the other crops to grow, to be richer. Jesus, Jesus was the first and only sacrifice of a human being. He made the sacrifice for us. He was ploughed into the ground so that we might be fruitful. You know, you can grab hold of this if you want to grab hold of it. Amazing sacrifice. Five. Why five? Why five loaves? Okay, well, this goes back to the symbolism again. About He's showing the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. There were five books of the law. Five books of the law. Okay? And he's saying the Old Covenant is coming, is coming to an end because this is the New Covenant. I'm about to make a New Covenant with you. Again, it refers to the 40 years I supplied manna to Israel. But what Jesus did was far greater. And bread, bread signifies what is necessary for life. You know, in England, for years, bread was our staple diet. I think we now think a lot of the potatoes is. But bread was way before that. It was a staple diet. I think in lots of countries, bread is a staple diet. But you know, the Israelites, they ate manna and they died. But Jesus is the true bread. He is the sustainer of life. And we saw that, didn't we? Uh, We just looked at it, but verse 32 says, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then in verse 50, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. What does two fish represent? Well, there's not much information on this, but tying in with what I've just said, um, some people say two represents the church. And we know that we're called to be fishers of men. But it represents the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant is bondage to law, but the new covenant is freedom. And when in verse 33 we've just read, it says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And these are the words that Jesus spoke. There's a number of different meanings for the word world in John. But the meaning of this word, world, means, I have come down, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus says, that's why I've come. Not come just for the Jews. I've come for the Gentiles as well. 
And that's what that word world means. And he's showing this miracle, this, I'm the bread of life, I'm the sustainer of life. You know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. He came from the house of bread. It also means the sent one. He was sent. I am the bread of life. I was sent for you so that you might have life, so that you might have freedom. And again, I'm going to say, you know, bread, it's the bread of life. This is the bread of life. And as we read it, as we let it become part of our life, as we take hold of it, as we understand and have a fresh revelation of this, as we eat it, we're receiving that word of life that becomes life within us. And that's what's so great about the confessions that we are doing. There's two things going on here. I've, I've already said about him being, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Twelve baskets left over. More than enough. There was more than enough. In fact, he actually commands the disciples to go and collect the remnants. Nothing is to be ruined or destroyed. Everything is of value. Nothing is to be lost. And each disciple carried a basket away with them. It doesn't say what happened with the baskets. It doesn't say. But if we're going back to this food, this bread of life, the disciples took what Jesus had imparted in them and they went throughout the Jewish and the Gentile world with the word. Nothing lost. Whatever he puts in you, nothing is to be lost. Sometimes you might feel that something falls to the ground. Pick it up again and run. Nothing is to be lost. The physical, it's a practical demonstration of, of a promise. If we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things uh, and will be given to you as well. You know, they came hungry, expectant for a miracle, expectant for something to happen, and they were not disappointed. They saw the food multiplied. The fact that later on they didn't understand what happened, and they said in verse, um, we want a sign, where is it, verse 31, 32, we want a sign. Give us a sign. And, you know, Jesus is going, what do you think you just saw, guys? You saw a sign. But we are so much like that. How often have you gone, give me a sign, Lord, give me a sign. And he's going, yeah, but I've provided for this. And I've healed this. I've brought you peace in this situation. But we still want more instead of Jesus, that calm, that knowing, actually, God's in control. He's in control of every situation. We don't need to worry. We don't need to be concerned. We're going to look at that more next week as well. We don't need to worry. But he's our life. He's the sustainer of our life. But spiritually, where would we be if we didn't have Jesus? There is a part in every person 
that is waiting to be filled with him. And you can have money, you can have cars, you can have the best job in the world, but there's still going to be an emptiness if you don't have Jesus. There's even a proverb that says about, you know, better to have nothing on your plate and have the word of the Lord. Because there is a, a peace and a calm and a, a surety that comes when you know you have God in your life. I am the bread of life, the sent one by God. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one yes. he has sent. Yes. We need to believe in him. Our trust needs to be completely in him. We have looked, we've looked at these miracles, physical healing miracles. We've seen the water turn into wine at a big event. But now God is saying, I am your sustenance. Yes. I am your life. I am your yes. everything. Yes. I supply all your needs. I have everything in order. There is no chaos in your life. You just need to put your trust in me. God knew exactly what he was doing. Like George Muller going, hey, he knows exactly what he was, he's doing. So I'm going to trust him. When you know you're in his will, when you know you're walking with him, there is that surety in your life.